Meet me on the softer side. Meet me on the softer side. Softer side of your heart. Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. You can find out about this and all of our other author events at www.skylightbooks.com, where you can also browse our inventory as well as order books online. You can also follow us on Twitter or even be our friend at Facebook.com. If you'd like to talk to a real person, we can be reached at 323-660-1175. And don't forget, Skylight Books depends on listeners like you to help support us. So whether you're in our neighborhood or browsing online, buy a book or two to help ensure that we'll be around for a long, long time. Thanks and enjoy. She is the author of Out of Reach, which was a National Book Award a finalist, and she lives right here in Los Angeles. Please learn more about her at kerryarcos.com. Thank you. Yay! I'm so glad you're here. Um, you know, whenever you do book events like this, it's so interesting. You never really know who's going to show up because, unfortunately, people are like, what? Book signings? Like, they still happen. And, yes, we still have wonderful booksellers and bookstores, and people are still buying and reading books. And so I really appreciate it um, to get such a great crowd and, and have you guys come and support me and my second novel, There Will Come a Time. Woo! It's so crazy, I can't, um, you know, when you have a, a dream for a long time and then it finally becomes realized uh, when my first book was published in October 2012, it's still um, crazy to me that I get to, to keep doing this and the fact that I have a second book now is just, um, uh, it's just amazing and and you know, I've wanted this. I've had this dream for a long time to be a writer, and it's it's taken many years and lots of work. But uh, I found I recently found a letter that I guess I wrote to my English high school English teacher when I was graduating high school. And the letter was all about, you know, the angst that I had about leaving high school and, you know, what was I going to do with my life and, um, you know, what if it, things didn't work out and all this stuff. And, but there was a, a big section that I had that said, you know, um, I have a dream. I want to be a, a teacher and a writer. And I said, I don't, but I don't know if I'll be good enough because I know I'm not going to get teary. Um, but I, uh, um, and yeah, I mean, I had that at 17, and so to look back and read that at 17, and then to see at, you know, whatever age I am now, um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's just, it's, it was crazy, like, and to, to find that letter, and, um, and to be doing it, so I feel very blessed, and, and, and fortunate to, um, to be here tonight and to share this with you. Um, I just want to thank Skylight Books. Uh, how many of you guys, yes, applaud. <laughs> how many of you have been here before? Do you? Yeah, awesome. Um, those of you who haven't raised your hand, now you know, and you can come back <laughs> to the store and support them. They're a great, awesome local bookstore, and like and they said in the beginning that they have many events and uh, support local authors as well. Uh, I'd also like to thank um, a few people. Josh is not here. 
Um, okay, I'll skip him. But just a few people that I know that are here tonight. Um, there's a beautiful spread of coffee and, and water and um, some food, some treats for you guys. And Don Asher and Debbie <laughs> and Laura, my sister-in-law, did the flowers. She's also a florist. If you're interested, see me after. I'll give you your information. And I'd like to thank, um, I had a band playing. I don't know if you guys heard them. They're high hiding in the corner. But um, Nico, who is playing uh, the stand-up bass, uh, was actually, um, he, his name's in the acknowledgments of, of the book because I actually interviewed him a little for my character. Um, because my main character is a, a bass player and he goes to a um, arts high school and so I, I, and Nico does as well. And so I, um, he allowed me to pick his brain and get inside, you know, what that would really look like. So, Nico, I really appreciate all the help and thank you very much. So, okay. Um, so, there will come a time, uh, which is an awesome cover. I love it. Um, but this is not the right bridge. It's a cover of a person over a bridge. It's, uh, it takes place actually in Eagle Rock, California, where I live. And, oh, you know, it's in California. But, um, and it actually, this bridge was supposed to be the, Cal the Colorado Bridge, the Colorado Street Bridge, for any of you who know that area. And um, it's kind of this old bridge. And uh, basically, this character, Mark, um, the opening of the book is about. Oh my gosh, there's a cat. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Was that normal? <laughs> okay, I'm allergic to cats. Okay. Um, what was I saying? Okay, so, so anyway, so the, where it, okay, so it opens up with, we have this character, Mark, and he is grieving the loss of his twin sister because she was killed in a car accident that happened six months earlier on that bridge, on the Colorado Street Bridge. And um, so the cover is a little different than I imagined. I figured they'd have a bridge, but um, the designer, uh, I get why they, she chose this bridge. But if, you're, if you do end up reading it and you look to it and you're like, oh, that's weird. That's not what I pictured. It's, you're correct. <laughs> Um, but, so Mark, so, um, it tells this tale about Mark Santos and basically, uh, the tale of how he works through the grief at the loss of his sister. And when I was telling some friends I was writing this character, Mark, they, they kind of looked at me kind of funny because Mark is a 17-year-old Filipino-American bass player, skater kid. And they'd kind of look at me like... Okay, that's interesting. Like, kind of like, what would a you know white lady your age know about being a 17-year-old Filipino kid? And I, and and yeah, it struck me and was very interesting. Um, he first was inspired by a former student of mine. I was teaching at a college, and uh, I had I had this assignment where my students had to get up and tell a story for um, kind of like a mini moth. If any of you guys follow NPR and they have the Moth Hour, so I had them do that where they had to tell a story that was true and it was only five minutes. And so I had this student of mine, Josh, stand up and he told this story of how he was in love with this girl across the street forever. Um, he's Filipino, and the girl across the street was this white girl and uh, 
so some, from the fifth grade from when she moved in all the way through high school, he was in love with her. And then finally asks her out, you know, sophomore year, they go out and it lasts two weeks and then he dumps her. <laughs> and I was like, what? I said, what happened, you know? And he, he was like, I was, it was the commitment, you know? I just couldn't, I couldn't handle the commitment. And I just thought, this is just the way he, he told it. And I, and I loved Josh, he was this kind of like sensitive, he was tatted up, plugs, musician kind of guy. And I just, uh, just started talking to him and he would talk to me about girl issues and all this stuff all the time. And I got to know him. And so he was kind of like, first place when I started thinking about this character I started creating was, was based off of him. And then um, I live on this street that's this really awesome street that has a really great downgrade. And it's great to skate down because there's people that are constantly skating down it. And there was this kid that was always skating down my street. And he, no helmet, no pads, nothing. Spilping, okay. And I would always look out the window like, where is his mom? You know, like, why, well, why is nobody, you know, stopping this kid? And then I would hit hide because I didn't want him seeing me because I was afraid that he'd be like, why is this lady, old lady watching me? Anyway, so kind of the, the combination of those two guys became Mark. And, um, and it's set in Eagle Rock. And... Uh, so Mark is really, he's an Angelino who's Filipino with Filipino roots. And um, it also was important to me to kind of tell a story. If I was going to do an L.A. story, I wanted it to re reflect the area that, that what I see, you know, reflect my friends, um, my kids' friends. You know, my kids are, my kids are mixed. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm white. Their dad is um, Latin. And um, most of their friends are all a huge range, a range of diverse people. And so um, it's very important to me, I think, to when I write to, um, to represent the reality that I see. And, you know, it's interesting because there's this huge, for, uh, not exactly how it started, but in the YA lit kind of circles, there's this huge discussion right now about diversity in YA, which is shocking to me that we're still having to have this discussion on why there should be diversity in, like, our stories that we tell. Um, but uh, I forget the exact figure, but the, the figures of, like, characters that are persons of color in, in YA lit, and probably if adult lit, and actually, let's look, TV, film, <laughs> um, it's very, very small still. And, and I thought, you know what, I have the influence to maybe change that. And even though I don't, I'm not a Filipino woman, obviously, <laughs> um, I, I um, you know, it was very, it was very important for me to have diverse characters. And, and, you know, so I did my research, you know, I talked to different friends and different teenagers and, and, you know, made sure that I tried to get it right, you know, um, of what Mark's experience might be. Because, you know, for me, diversity, you know, in writing is not just about writing stories that are dealing with, you know, one's cultural identity. But I think um, the future, it's about writing stories, um, human stories, through the eyes of diverse characters and diverse cultures. Um, and this is, it's not the future, this is now. This is now. And so I'm, I'm hoping, it's my goal, I would love, you know, what I write even in the future to reflect that too. And especially a setting like LA, you know, even if looking around this room, it's, it's people from all different backgrounds and cultures here. And, you know, and if I didn't do that, it would be like, you know, writing a 
TV show where all the friends live in New York City and all of them are white and never ever interact with anyone who's a person of color. <laughs> but I think that's been done before. Um, so, but ultimately, this is a story about Mark and his journey through, through grief, which is kind of a heavy topic, I guess, or heavy subject, but, and I think one of the things one of the reasons why I was struck by grief and kind of wanted to explore this is because at the time of writing it, I think I was personally dealing with some grief of my own through um, the loss of a good friend. Uh, and so I was kind of, you know, putting that all together, the questions of death and suffering and, you know, why does this happen? And, and so I was struggling with a little, that a little bit. And so I think that's part of the inspiration as to why I went to grief in my next, next book. Um, and then I also kind of was going through a personal experience where I had some health issues that there was also some grieving that I was personally doing. So, because um, I have had people that have read it have said to me, have said um, that, you know, how did you capture grief so well? Like, were you a grief counselor? <laughs> and I was like, no, I just, I guess I've known grief, you know, and I've known suffering and I've known pain and I've known loss. And even though I'm not 17 years old, you know, I can imagine like what that would have felt like at 17, you know, losing, Mark's a twin, so he lost his twin sister. So a lot of what his struggle is, you know, am I even, now that she's gone, and I, am I even still a twin? You know, and just just grappling through that and the, the pain of that. Um, and so I just wanted to read a couple uh, sections. But um, when I was starting to write this, this is the first thing I wrote, and it's in the first chapter. And uh, it's Mark, and he says, They say grief is an ocean measured in waves and currents rocking and tossing you about like a boat stranded in the middle of the deep. But this is not true. Grief is a dull blade against the skin of your soul. It takes its time doing its work. Grief will slowly drive you crazy until you try to sever yourself like some kind of wounded animal caught in a trap. You'd rather maim yourself than be free. But you'll never be free because you'll always remember. I remember. I remember my twin sister Grace, so I press up against the blade even harder. And so... <laughs> And so, um, sorry, that's my brother. <laughs> um, um, so that's kind of where we meet Mark at the beginning. That's, that's his state of mind. And, and he shares a little bit later more about his relationship with Grace and being a twin. He says, since Grace and I were twins, we shared more than blood and a last name. Most twins, I think, have this uncanny closeness. I've heard stories about the ones who can actually feel pain when the other is hurt. We didn't have any superpowers like that. We couldn't read each other's minds, though it wasn't for lack of trying. When we were kids, we'd sometimes practice for hours, staring at each other, flinging our thoughts across the room, but it never worked. But I did know how Grace thought. I knew how she felt. I knew how she'd answer questions, how she only liked nuts and ice cream and not in cookies. And when Grace died, I knew rationally she wasn't here anymore. I knew she was gone. She is gone. But I can still feel her. Sometimes she speaks to me. I'm not talking voices in my head, more like whispers of past conversations. It's like being an amputee with a missing arm, reaching out to scratch an itch or still feeling pain. Grace is my phantom limb. 
I told this to my friend Sebastian once, and he understood it right away. It was the one true thing I offered to Chris in our sessions. He said to give it time, that eventually the feeling would go away. And that pissed me off, because what made him think I wanted it to go away? So, you know, Mark's kind of like, it's oh, in a lot of pain. <laughs> you're like, oh. um, he's in a lot of pain, he's hurting, and, and so what happens is, is they find um, a package gets sent to Mark's family that has the belongings that were in the car. It had gotten lost from the police department, and so in, that, in, in the belongings is a journal that Grace kept that uh, listed top five things that she wanted to do for the year, and so he and this neighbor girl, Hannah, um, decide to do the top list the top five things to honor grace and so that kind of propels the story forward and and they do all kinds of things and it was fun to as I was writing this to play with the landscape of LA too to kind of see where they would travel and from the beaches to the San Gabriel Mountains and to downtown and and so it really is a, a story that's truly reflective of LA in that sense as far as the setting goes um, but uh, it ultimately ends ends with hope. I, I will say that I, I knew early on one of the things when I when I write, I always I uh, I um, I'd like the, this idea of being a voice of hope in, in whatever I put out there and produce in the world. And so, even though I may have characters that kind of go through these dark times um, of pain and stuff, I always think of ending on hope, especially like I write for young people. I was a high school English teacher for many years and I was always looking for books that could connect with my students, you know, because not every book, right, it's, not every book is going to connect with you. Like sometimes I'll read something that someone's like, I love this, you got to read it, and I'll read it and be like, I didn't get it, you know, <laughs> right? And so I'd have students like that all the time and so, um, so when I write, I do think of st my students, actually. I'll think of particular ones I've had over the years. Their faces will come in my mind, and I'll be like, oh, this will be perfect for him or perfect for her. And, and, uh, and they, need, they need to know that there's hope out there because there's a lot, you know, they're going through a lot of suffering, a lot of pain, a lot of struggle. Um, and even dealing with death for the first time. I was very fortunate. I didn't have anyone close to me die until I was in my early 20s. And it was my grandfather. But other than that, I kind of was like, yeah, whatever. People die. Like, it, it wasn't a reality to me. Um, and so when he died, it was like, you know, uh, just an understanding for the first time of that kind of loss and that kind of pain. And But I had students, you know, who lost siblings, who lost parents, who already experienced that pain at such a, such a young age. Um, so, so, yeah, so I think it's important to, know, to, you know, write things where they can see themselves reflected in and, and also uh, be a voice to hope for people struggling and through those things. Um, and <laughs> I've just started reading Game of Thrones. <laughs> I don't know. I just wanted to see what the fuss was. I didn't watch. I haven't watched it, but I wanted to read it. I wanted to go. Sorry. I wanted to start with the source material. And, and it's true. Like, a lot of people die in these books. Like, and I love it, though. Because he's like, he makes you love this character. And then he's like, ah. Oh, and I'm like, yes. But, you know, I'm sad. But I'm like, oh, it's awesome. And I was just seeing everywhere. What is it that? I wrote it down. All men must die. Isn't that the slogan? Have you seen it? Amy, yes, right. 
and it's true, you know, all that 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 death is death is this is kind of dark, but it's true. Death is waiting for all of us. Crazy, huh? I know. Why am I going there? I don't know. <laughs> but that that loss, but that you know. That, that great struggle we're in with life and how it, it builds us and it builds our character and the more, the more suffering sometimes, the more compassion we have, you know, and the more, um, the stronger we become and the greater lives we lead um, facing that, that head on and taking it. And, you know, Mark, Mark's, Mark's got to learn that, you know, and he's, he's walking through it. And so I hope um, if you guys buy it and if you guys read it, that you enjoy it and you, you enjoy Mark's journey. And... Uh, and yeah, and I thank you. I thank you guys. Thank you for again for coming and supporting and um, just being great friends. Those of you who are friends out here. Um, yay! Thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I would love to open it up for questions. If you guys have questions, that was my little spiel to you. Yes, sir. <laughs> Do you ever reach out to an entity that disappoints him? An entity meaning? He, um, yes, he reaches out. There is a counselor that he kind of has um, a difficult relationship with because it's been forced on him. I think, and so he's kind of resentful of that. Parents, like kind of like grief counseling because, you know, he, he's exhibiting signs of like PTSD, you know, from this loss. But I don't want to say too much, but he does reach out towards the end part of his journey is reaching out to a group who actually does provide the help that he needs. They don't disappoint, no. And that's actually kind of like on his journey to health. To health this other group. Anybody else? Really, Matisse? <laughs> this is my daughter. <laughs> um, why did I pick to write about a 17 year old? Because I write for teenagers. You know, I write for anyone. Anyone can read this book. It's a story for anyone. My dad actually read it. And I know it's my dad. But my dad does not read fiction. He does not at all. He doesn't really like going to movies. He's like not a fiction guy. Uh, and um, so he read it and he was sharing with me that he actually cried in parts and laughed. And so that was a big deal. So I know if, I know if like my dad, who's not a 17-year-old guy, um, can relate to this story that it's a story for anyone but yeah I love I love the teen years I love exploring um, kind of that time and and kind of um, not being a voice but maybe um, being a voice into I guess I would say that time anyone else David Yeah, I know there are some people that outline like crazy. They've got the whole book outlined before they write. And then, then they just go. And I think especially those people that are putting out like a book a year or whatever in such a fast pace, they're doing that. Um, 
I tend to start with a character. I've tried to do it the other way. I've tried to come up with this like amazing plot, right? Like I really want to, I really, really want to write a sci-fi. I really want to one day. I'm a huge sci-fi. I love it. I love. It. I'll watch anything sci-fi. I just even the bad. I watch. I watch all of it, and I would love to, but I haven't come up with a great concept. I come up with an idea, and then I'm like, oh, it's been done. Okay, you know, just constantly. So I would love to start with like the big idea, but I tend to start with character first, like a character, and then like I just play around with it in my head, and I'll start thinking, and then I start writing, and and then it starts to evolve out of that. Um, but. And maybe that's a lot of kind of what I've read and what I've studied too. Tends to be a lot like those thoughtful, character-driven kind of stories, and movies too. I really love like independent movies, you know, that really show really are character-focused. That's that's what I do. But I would love to do the others. I know one one writer I know. She takes um, what is that? It's that screenwriting book about the cat. <sighs> And I guess there's like 15 beats or something, and she literally, she'll map out her books that way. And it's not all written, it's just like, you know, like an outline, and then she'll, she'll start going. And it doesn't mean like it doesn't change from the outline. People who outline, it definitely changes. Um, but they just do a lot more upfront. Whereas, you know, I could write a whole novel, and like the novel's my outline. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, <laughs> then I gotta go back and change it. But anyway, is there a question up here? Yeah. The way that you were talking about LA, it seems just really central to your novel, and mm -hmm. I was wondering, did it have to be LA? Would it have been a different story if it hadn't been? Um, I mean, I think it could have been out of LA, but I think the types of characters that I have in it are very LA. They feel LA more like, you know, Angelino kids than say like kids maybe in the East or, you know, in the mid middle. I guess there's a middle part of our country. I don't really know. It's like <laughs> I only know the coast, like Michigan. I don't know. People come from some Midwest. There's a Midwest. Yes, <laughs> I see you. <laughs> Any other questions? Yes, no. Yes, Tracy. Um, just talking to, I have a couple of friends who are Filipino, actually their, their background, so I met with them and talked with them, and then um, um, my s former student who was Filipino, I met with him and talked with him quite exclusively, and so mainly it was that way, talking to people, and then a few things online, like there's some things with some food, so yeah, online I looked up some things. Actually, some of the food tonight um, is, one of it is recently. <laughs> Is a uh, Turan, and it's like a um, how do I explain it? It's like a uh, like like a banana with deep fried with an egg roll kind of around it, right? And it's it's like a piece of heaven. I'm serious, you're gonna you love it. So, what is that? <laughs> Our school, basically. <laughs> Um, Eagle Rock Elementary has a very high Filipino population, and so it is funny. Every you know function that has food in it, it's great because there's such a crazy diverse. You got your enchiladas next to like all different you know um, lumpia and, and different kinds of foods. And so I, f I first tasted Tron actually when, when um, Matisse was in preschool, and it was and I loved it. 
remember Matisse? <laughs> um, so yeah, so so it doesn't surprise. I think at first I was like, wow, I wonder why I'm writing about a Filipino kid. And my husband was like, are you serious, really? And and it's so true because like. <laughs> Um, especially Eagle Rock has a very high Filipino population and my kids friends and their classrooms and it's just and our neighbors and we're just um, to me it's like yeah it's normal <laughs> so anyway um, okay another question <laughs> what are some of the most like I guess interesting things that you learned about What, what would be interesting? I'm like, I'm trying to think of what like most interesting. I, I, I don't really know. Just um, that, oh, I know. I was very ignorant. Well, this is not interesting, interesting but I was very ignorant, ignorant with, um, I thought all Filipinos would consider themselves Asian. And I was like, and, and it's no Pacific Islander. And are you making a face? Yes. I know, I know, but you're like still like, <laughs> yeah. And so that was that was a very interesting. I was like, really. And so um, I remember my neighbor. We had a discussion about it. So I was like, okay, cool. Like I had no idea. So I, I it was kind of more like that, like revelations of like, okay, and and the foods, you know, were very interesting. Um, um, but culturally, it's it's kind of weird. I kind of almost felt. Um, it, to me very at home because it was very similar to Latin and so to me it did not feel that different and I'm very familiar with Latin culture and, and my husband and his family and and so on and so forth so to me that was surprising too how similar I felt the cultures were and similar to Italian Italian Latin and Filipino have like real real, real focus no it is like with focus on family and food and, and um, it, it is all very similar you know Anyone else? One last question? Yeah. Speaking so much about race, and I'm shocked around the country mm -hmm. about different events of racism. And you're commenting about the neighborhood and the environment that you've written about. Does he ever comment on race? No, well, because this is not a book where he's necessarily um, dealing with his cultural identity from, it, it's, I did not write that story, and I, in, I didn't intend to write that story. Um, because I am a cult, such a cultural outsider, I didn't feel like I could necessarily tell that story correctly. Like, and there's been a lot done where it's like, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm Mexican and I'm American, and how, what does that mean, and how do I fuse those two together? You know that kind of a story. I wasn't wasn't writing that, um, so so he doesn't really deal with that. And and his his group of friends are all very mixed and, and different culturally, and so it's kind of um, it's it's not really brought up in the book. You know, for his story. So yeah. Any last questions? Yeah. Uh, I never have that issue <laughs> because everything I write is from the gods. <laughs> Every day. Monday I was in the pit of despair because the book was out and it was like nobody cares. And I know, sad. It, none of the like trade reviews were in yet and it was like I was like great. 
whatever. And I went to one store, it wasn't even there. So I was like, Romans, didn't even have it. And um, so yeah, and then on Monday I was trying to write and I'm writing this story and I think it's, okay. I think it's good and I'm, I'm writing, I'm working on it. I was like, yeah, this is good, this is good. And then I'm like, no, this is horrible, this is horrible. So yeah, all the time, I really, really struggle with that. And I think, um, I have listened to authors that are, you know, much farther ahead of me as far as success and books and all of that. And I'm, ho and I'm like, oh, they're going to tell me, like, it gets better, it gets easier. It's amazing. Like, they've arrived. And none of them feel that way. <laughs> none of them feel that way. There's some writers over here. Um, and I, maybe Stephen King does. I don't know. I don't know, but like I don't know a single writer that will say it's easy or they feel like what they write. Most writers, I think, really struggle and feel like, gosh, is this, is this good enough? Is this good enough? So, and I think part of my journey now is, is learning how to press through that learning how, if I want to be in this for the long run in the career, because, you know, people come in and out of this all the time, you know, um, is learning to find contentment in the journey and contentment in the ups and downs of it and, and, uh, and, um, and yeah, and that's what I'm trying to do. That's what I'm trying to do. So, okay. Thanks, you guys. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can check out this and all of our other great podcasts at www.skylightbooks.com. Today's music was provided by Fragile Gang. You can check them out at MySpace, Facebook, and the iTunes Music Store. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.